0: Hey everybody, and welcome to the first installment of an interview series where I speak one-on-one with artists and writers on their use and direct consideration of technology. Our first interview today is with Harry Sanderson during his stay at Jupiter Woods in London over on Rollins Street. Besides us talking, you'll hear in the background the hum of the space where Victor Timofeev had an installation up. In this interview, Harry and I get into some of the origins of his work, the vocabulary surrounding his newest pieces, as well as some of his obsessions fueling the production. Today we're talking with Harry Sanderson. He just had a show up at Cell Project called We Are the Human Network, Smoke Rare Earth Petal. Um, why don't we get started by talking about that show?
1: Right, so it's a three-channel video um, and sound piece um, that I originally made as a companion piece to these uh, new uh, caustics light sculptures that I showed in Turin. Um, so it was like the um, through the process of making these new sculptures, which involved um, working a lot with software and algorithms um, and sort of CNC fabrication techniques, 3D printing, things like that. Um, I started using I was on a residency in Nottingham Trent at the science department and I started using their microscopes um initially to look at the failed prototypes and why they were because they were breaking and shattering and all this stuff. so I was trying to like study the the texture of like the the clear cast resins I was using and see like how many bubbles there were and what was going wrong and all this stuff and then i just got really fixated on using the microscope to zoom into these like tiny objects and it was like playing a lot with the depth of field and try this idea of trying to focus on things and trying to zoom in on things to understand them to attain a kind of level of intimacy with them but as you do that like it the thing you're looking at transforms into a totally different object so like you you get no more understanding of like uh rare earth element from looking at it under a microscope than you get from looking at it in the palm of your hand it just it's just becomes another kind of abstraction from it i made these videos layer just layering up these uh images i was collecting with the microscope of like um yeah var- various layers of mediation or various la- various layers of sort of um the coherence of an object or an image breaking down into something more abstract um and as I've done before, like I combined this with sound editing, like um, phasing between three channels of audio mm-hmm. so that the sound moves from one piece to another. So and maybe I'll mention that at Cell Project, you yeah. had
0: the pieces
1: set up in a triangle. So all the right, videos right, were right. sort so of the, facing the each other. So the audio was mixed mm-hmm. in the computer in a triangle formation. Mm-hmm. And then at Turin, it was placed in that formation as well, but they were shown on tablets in Turin in like this portable sense. And then I was speaking to Sal about doing an, doing an event um, there and decided to just take this film as it was a new piece that I'd shown uh, and actually give it, instead of it being a kind of, uh, just a companion to the main thing, which was these caustic pieces, actually like take it into a, um, yeah, give it its own space to be a standalone work. So we installed it on these uh, projection screens and I used these, are um, called bone conductors Um, that kind of audio transducers that amplify the surface of whatever they touch so these Mm. these screens that the films were projected on were also the speakers which ended up working really well in terms of this idea of using sound as a physical sculptural element to give to bring this kind of haptic because the 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 film is attempting to attain to this sort of like um, physical intimacy with proximity with objects and then the sound also is designed to try and underscore that by being a physical thing that kind of moves around you and you can feel it you know the closer you get to it the more if you touch the screen you can actually feel the sound pulsing through it so it gives it this almost I mean it's previous times I've done works like that with uh, with sort of 3D audio or try to work with 3D audio mm. I've used speakers and that's kind of spread the sound too much but right. with this it like located it quite well. Right. So and as you moved between the videos um, you kind of felt yeah, change. Yeah, yeah. That's the basic idea of, of sort of how I'm using sound mm-hmm. now, and it's like uh, it also opens up physical materials to being usable to me in a way because I would never have used one material over another for any specific reason before, but now I can. Now I have like the logic of them being conductors of audio, so if mm-hmm. something has a purpose, I can then use it. But I find it just awkward. If something doesn't have a purpose, you know, I can't just put something in a room because why that thing and not something else? You don't have that. And I just, it just drives me nuts. So, Mm -hmm. but now that it can be a a speaker, then it, it makes sense. So I can think about all these different materials now. It's quite, it's quite liberating. Right. Right. Yeah.
0: And I was wondering, um, I mean, you can see installs from the show, um, up online, um, but those structures that they, that were built, um, for the videos themselves. Was that you that did that? Was that
1: cell? I well, sort of, of made those work together okay. on it i mean um i made like a, some like sketch-ups of how i wanted it to mm-hmm. look and then worked with the technician at cell to build them from aluminium which also worked quite well as like in terms of its sonic right, properties because right. yeah. sort of at the high end of the video sometimes the aluminium would sort of buzz a little bit and that's right. kind of for me i was i was kind of taken aback by
0: those those structures i don't mean to so much linger on this because maybe not.
1: No, I was really pleased yeah. with them. Yeah, yeah they.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, the. I mean, both like the sound and visually, the structures resonated with themselves materially. There was like a lot of um, congruence that I found between mm. those.
1: Yeah, it's like the idea of plugging in an object which isn't normally kind of pluggable in, like yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. you know, the sort of strange notion of like. I mean, other artists have done stuff like this where you see like a USB stick head coming out, like was that? Marley Mal's pieces from ages right. ago where she <laughs> had those huge rocks with USB sticks coming out of them. I always thought right. that was really cool and also really funny. Mm-hmm. Um, so this in a way is like the, like p- plugging an audio jack into just the back of a bit of wood Right. and it's sort of working. <laughs> so somehow all these things become like part of this, um, part of the, net- the network in a sense. Like they're all, and I mean, I should also mention that the videos are synced together. Mm-hmm. right. So right. This, you know, I mean, initially it was like you're going to use the Wi-Fi in the space to sync the videos. If you have videos playing on like, on computers connected to the same Wi-Fi network, you can share mm-hmm. the information between them and they can keep each other in sync. All right. Um,
0: Did you find a big difference with the way that the videos worked in the space, where, whether it was on these, um, in these sort of frames, or versus on mobile devices?
1: The one thing I like about it is the way that it sort of... Um, Yeah, obviously it worked better than on mobile devices. Mm -hmm. But I mean, in the concept of how we showed them in mobile devices, was like essentially what we were kind of going for because we wanted this sort of um, very transitory kind of thing in terms of the art fair. We didn't want to like, and couldn't in many ways, like uh, go in for like some sort of really like um, lengthy install, you know? Mm -hmm. So we were actually trying to work with that thing of like, you know, there should be objects that you can pick up in the same way as the caustic pieces are also objects. Right, yeah, they yeah. they should be totally. sort of free-floating in a sense. Yeah, the piece is in in Cells, I think it's almost a completely different right. work. I mean, the only thing that's the same is it's the same video and audio track, but like in terms of how you encounter it, it's completely, completely different, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, yeah. and importantly so, I think.
0: I, I noticed when, in, I mean, in the videos, there's um, bits of text that are coming in, and I wondered if you could talk about that a little bit. Uh, sure. Just because they... The, the text was very was you know strikingly different than you know the you know crystallized material that you're looking into on there.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, it's about it's quite tentative as a thing for me. Mm-hmm. I think the video file that has the text in it is called something like "Don't Use This 4 <laughs> <laughs> um, But I've been doing before before i started working or reworking on the caustics pieces in nottingham i was doing a lot of work into uh sort of affect and neurosciences Mm -hmm. and um Mm -hmm. this idea of like um finding a kind of uh an like an average response to an image like that there are these um catalogs online put forward by sort of uh, neuroscience research laboratories where they have catalogs of images and they give like you know this image is so percent upsetting so much neutral so much positive and they try and construct this kind of um, empirical kind of measure of how you respond to input right mm-hmm. which is sort of inf- informationalizing affect mm. um, and what this does it's kind of um, striking is is that obviously it like um, posits a sort of normal spectator Um, that there would be there's a sort of normative subject if there's a normative condition of affect then there's inevitably a normative subject to respond to that affect right Mm -hmm. so this is kind of the ingrained sort of prejudices of those kind of life sciences sort of coming you know there's there's always this like tacit white male spectator who has the privileged position of being neutral in this situation having a neutral experience of these things so I was looking through those images and um, well I couldn't find the images but I could find the the titles of the slides and I was struck by how the title of the slide is more striking than to see the image and this is because psychologically like you um you know if you see the word petal you form like a cognitively form a flower in 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 your own mind from your own like uh, we say like endogenous apparitions Right, so you form it. So it happens. It has to happen in you. So it's much more invasive, right? Right. Whereas if you see an image mediated by all these layers of abstraction, it's very much like you're used to that kind of interaction with things. In fact, mm-hmm. if anything, it helps you distance yourself from what you're seeing. Right. So it's like it's kind of about how would you like represent violence, or how would you represent this kind of alienated condition? Right. There's and, an iridescence. Yeah, and in fact, the word like just the word on its I mean, there's um, yeah, it's not. I can't remember the exact quote, but it's from. Um, it's Deleuze and Guattari talking about Freud mm-hmm. and it's him um, saying about how like um, a, a, like a, a neurotic right ha- instead where regular people have images of things mm-hmm. the neurotic only has images of words of things so it's just like for example the word hole or something is all right. he has when he yeah. <laughs> yeah so there's no but like I like also this thing of words um, functioning to 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 unify difference and to destroy and level difference Mm -hmm. so like the word together for example that the employee is putting up onto that piece of glass like it has this intensely violent function where it levels and destroys and makes appear unified you know what is in fact a heavily stratified and unequal global system (laughs) you know yeah so basically they're they're, they're like they're they're different to pictures (laughs) right (laughs) it's Yeah. yeah right there's like
0: um you know a hermeneutic process that you have to go through and sort of trying to understand and
1: yeah it's almost like me it's like everything was done sort of live in a way so i was like Mm -hmm. filming everything on microscopes whilst moving my computer around and moving images around so it's almost like i suppose a neater way to 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 explain it would be it's like the process of me naming and categorizing the things i'm looking at Mm -hmm. and trying to keep them organized but then also the focus Mm -hmm. on that falling apart in a certain way so it's like the process of naming a thing trying right. to hold it down trying to pin it down and then it receding from that possibility do
0: you think like a hierarchy can emerge on, out of that or is it I think the work has
1: quite a cyclical like quite a sort of um, loop it has a very much a looping mm-hmm. structure mm. in that the sound moves around and the images right. they repeat and there's like lots of um, you know there's no there's no narrative right. as such yeah. and I don't really think I work that way yeah in terms of a hierarchy emerging in it I mean, inevitably, it was going to be playing with these kind of tensions. Right. Totally. Um, Yeah. Um, Sort of a hierarchy of forms, maybe of, you know, what
0: what's supposed to be like most representational or Mm -hmm. most effective in the piece. For me, it didn't really. I mean, it was all sort of like this kind of fluid um, movement there. Um, but I didn't know if you had any intention there.
1: I mean, I edited it. Mm-hmm. I edited all three channels simultaneously, so I was constantly checking mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. they all made sense together. And I was trying to okay. build some kind of, yeah. I mean, that's the other thing about using the words and the images, like repeat the images a lot, and they've appeared in other works. Have, some of those images appear mm-hmm. as the images in the caustic sculptures. Like so, in a way, it was trying to build this, like, yeah, like a, a vocabulary. And piecing something together, which was based slightly on this idea of trying to quantify the sort of affect of things. So, so for example, yeah. in these in these picture, picture archives, they have these uh, flow diagrams where they plot some things, um, how anxious it makes a subject mm-hmm. versus how happy or sad it makes them. And this gives it a position in XY space. Right. <laughs> so just these kind of like absurd metrics of categorization and whether they'd actually have any effect on you. You right. know, whether that would make any sense, whether it be readable, probably not. But I like the idea that there is some sort of there is some sort of structure behind it. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, those weren't that video piece was not edited in that way at all. It was just purely kind of intuitively I just did it like by eye pretty much. Which was necessary because, you know, I was working on the caustics for a year and it's a very technical process, like it involved um sort of do should we close that door? Ladies and gentlemen, Victor Timothy. <laughs> yeah, so it involved um, kind of exiting art making, really, mm-hmm. just to learn. Um, although I didn't, um, you know, I didn't learn physics and computer, c- like software programming myself, obviously, I worked with other people, but it took six months to learn the vocabulary to, f- to understand enough of what was required to even find the people who could, who could who could work on that with me, right. you know? So, so making the piece in the way I did by eye was a pretty necessary thing to like enter back into working with visual material as an artist rather than working, you know, as part of a production team, team on, on a scientific project. Right.
0: Um, and I'm wondering if you can talk about, about like the sort of the differences between the two and what you found difficult about working on the team. I mean, obviously, you have to learn this, you know, totally different vocabulary and when yeah. you're working. Um, you have to
1: read a lot of papers that, you, you know, scientific journals that you just don't understand. Right. Just keep reading them until you understand it um, or at least understand the basic concepts um, just so you can follow the work right. and follow the progress because, yeah.
0: And do you think um, before we started recording, we were talking about how code and the languaging of code um, of a program kind of conforms a programmer uh, to conform to its, you know, needs and inputs um, yeah, to create sure. something. Um, do you think that you, did you feel that you had to do that on a more macro level to like sort of get into the field in general? Yeah,
1: I mean, um, just on an extraordinary level, this was not about any kind of cr- creativity or, you know, mm. this was, <laughs> yeah, this was really about learning scientific, process and um approaching things logically and it's 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 uh simulating the world and in order to affect a change in the world so it's, it's sort of simulating um uh, physical properties and natural conditions in a computer and then producing an object that reproduces that in in in, in reality but in order to do that obviously any kind of mapping of the world has to involve a simplification of right. it. Or a, often a quite a, yeah. Often quite grotesque simplification. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you think about um, those experiments in volition, you know, the sort of willpower experiments mm-hmm. they did, where, um, you know, they told the person to raise their arm and then detected electronic activity in the brain like 11 seconds before, seven or whatever seconds before they did this and then said, oh, from this we infer there's no such thing as Volition or will, right? right. right? You were just like these automatons and will is just a kind of uh, defensive mechanism we've evolved (laughs) to cope with this condition. But I mean, as this pointed out, like in order to reach that conclusion, you've got to separate the act of lifting the arm from the act of taking part in the experiment, from the act of getting up in the day, from the act of being a living human being with a life and social relations and all these things. Right, so right, like, like, where does this
0: line? Of... Yeah, like, if
1: you're going to study love or where, where love appears in the brain, right. love in that experiment is a picture of that mm-hmm. person's spouse. That's not right. love. <laughs> That's a representation of someone that they may or may but not could still be love. A, you know, yeah, maybe <laughs> so it's something very different. That yeah, love. so it has to like the, well, Son Rethel said this a long time ago about mm-hmm. intellectual manual labor. He was like, you know, science cuts up nature piecemeal to make it compatible with conditions of capitalist production. Right. You know, but this other, this uh, more recent crit- critic, academic critic of uh, neuroscience says it sort of grotesquely amputates its subject, obje- its objective study. Mm-hmm. In order to make it you know visible within its remit. Right, right, and that's you know the phenomena
0: that's going on geologically of you know, humans creating these forms and then conforming massive systems.
1: Taking computation from being something that happens as a durational thing mm-hmm. in computers to being um, an, a moment and, a, and, and an object in the right. world. Um,
0: that it can manifest as material. Yeah, and yeah. as a very though you know, so it's
1: just- computing in the world with the, the the material, like the natural light of the world. Right. Like, um, you know, there's this Donna Haraway quote where she says, our best machines are made from sunshine. Right. And, <laughs> and I've actually found that after making the caustics pieces, but mm. I felt like they do kind of typify uh, the kind of aspiration of technological devices to be these weightless, transparent Things. things and then she said, between, you know, "Yeah, objects. this like world of glass planes, panes that we're living in, you know, like her." Uh, and then Haraway is saying that like um, this is the subject of immense pain in Detroit and Singapore, which in the nineties were, I guess, where a lot of manufacturing was going on, uh, because human beings aren't transparent; mm-hmm. they're material and opaque, and and so you know when they are hit with these things, it burns them, which is what caustics means to burn. So I thought a lot about that quote in parallel to Paul Virilio speaking about Hiroshima and the tattooing of kimono patterns Mm. on people's flesh. And, you know, so like a nuclear bomb is a a ball of sunshine, right? (laughs) So I don't know. (laughs) No, that's great
0: though. Um, I mean, maybe before we end, um, we go go back to a little... I would wonder about your thoughts working with the, the team that you worked with, mm-hmm. what that was like. Maybe you can get into the details of that a little bit. Yeah. I'm interested in this bridge between, you know, very like art world, you know, creative processes mm. versus the other world out there. Yeah. Teams of people were doing like whether they're in startups, businesses, these same in the, these... Not diff- working for- toward very different ends um, but yeah. perhaps working like in very similar fields.
1: Yeah, I was really lucky to find them. It was kind of a real fluke that I did because I'd found I'd gone through so many um, nobody that was working on this technology in any of the universities that do it was willing to help me mm-hmm. except one professor at UCL um, called Tim Weirich who helped me a little bit mm-hmm. it, mostly by telling me not to do it because it was too <laughs> hard but then also he did help me um, for for quite a price Um, when I was... The first time I tried to make a prototype of it. Mm -hmm. But other than... And he did give some very useful advice. But other than that, I didn't really have any inroads into the people who were doing it. And any kind of commercial software building company is... I mean, it's amounts of money that I doubt I'll ever see in my lifetime. You know, like, yeah. So it was... I don't know the project in a way has been about like refusing something being impossible or almost like mm-hmm. it's just like uh this kind of obsession <laughs> but um yeah working with that team of people was fantastic. I mean they're incredibly intelligent um brilliant people and they, they there's some people from from New Mexico I think and one of them from Harvard and they were working in optics. One of them was working in optics. One of them was working in physics, just straight physics PhD. And other one was working in computer sciences and stuff like that. And they were all, one of them just graduated their PhD now and the other ones had been graduated for five years and were kind of, had formed a company where they were doing mm. these. Their, their job basically is working um, in MATLAB, which is a, a math visualization language. Right. And, and it's used mostly to sort of, um, yeah, visualize data. And kind mm-hmm. of analyze large sets of data. So for them I think it was a really interesting challenge. Um, having never worked in sort of creating something representate that could do a representational job. Like I mean, in a way it relates to like representing data in a way for them. So right. they found it like they were re- they were really interested in it and it meant that they sort of agreed to work on it together for like much not for less than they'd normally charge, but to defer some of that payment so that we were able to get started on it with. Because I had money from the fellowship in Nottingham, but other than that, I didn't have and I didn't have enough to straight up pay the whole thing. So we had to sort of agree to make it a shared project. And I, I um, yeah, we spoke. We spoke a lot. I mean, as the as the project went on, we did start speaking about um, the history of photography and things and things like daguerreotypes and talking about yeah, talking about this as like a kind of. I mean it is a kind of photography it's very literal kind of photography
0: there's that it it reminds me I always think of this piece in term when I'm thinking of you know artists like jumping into you know this sort of other world Um, but that Jill Majid piece where she's um, I think it's called Locker Room um, oh yeah where she's in Liverpool and teaching cops that are watching that are controlling the cctv cameras She teaches them how to do different film techniques oh um, yeah where it's just where it's like you know you're jumping into this other person's field and like you could be creative you know in <laughs> quotes there but you know they just don't have the you know the tools yeah whereas you might not have the tools to do what they're doing well i
1: thing. certainly don't but it was really interesting to see because i followed we did all the code development online so i was following them writing the code so i, I saw how Code were you projects using, come together. Were you using like GitHub or Bitbucket. Bitbucket. Yeah. Um, so I, I was. I was. I mean, obviously, it's just for me. It's looking at things I don't understand. But I don't know. I got quite. It was nice to at least see it progressing, yeah. and see this thing being um, put together. It's like a black box almost to me. Like uh, the the image goes in, and then the object comes out. Right. And somehow
0: something in there. I yeah.
1: I mean, I I do actually understand how it works <laughs> <laughs> um but i wouldn't obviously i wouldn't be able to write the code if you want to talk about things that you're looking forward to uh so uh i have a show on at the moment in berlin with emily warzil at Karlia gabauer gallery um and that's on until march 7th i think or thereabouts then i have a show opening um on the 30th in frankfurt uh, a gallery called Basis it's called Searching for Devices the RCA MFA Curation show uh, in March in London and also I have a project um with Andrew Norman Wilson and Susan Shipley um which uh Cory is curating here at Jupiter Woods on March 15th awesome so a lot it's uh, <laughs> a lot going on but then nothing after that so I Taking don't. a break. Maybe, uh, maybe. I hope not. I'm kind of getting used to working mm, a lot yeah. now. So I find it much worse when it's... I mean, the worst bit of the Caustics project was waiting for the code mm. to be made for trying to follow the developments and just thinking, how can I plan as make as much contingency plans as possible? Like, what can I... You know, streamlining the production process and all this stuff. But it was really impossible to start before I got anything to work with. Sure, we've been talking about
0: the most at Cell Project was just up for a weekend, but that's yeah. well documented online. Are yeah. the videos themselves available online or have you kept those?
1: No, they're not online. So I think images are better sometimes. Um, cool. Yeah. Cool, thank you.
0: 33 minutes.
1: Oh wow.